I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the show, my friends. It's me, Effie Parks, and I'm so honored you chose to spend some time with me today, so thank you. I know it's going to be worth your time. I haven't mentioned Once Upon a Gene TV lately. Go check it out. It is a free channel that you can download on Roku or Amazon Fire. It was founded by my friends Bo Bigelow and Daniel DeFabio of the Rare Disease Film Festival. It features over 100 rare disease films and also includes Once Upon a Gene TV. The last two episodes just came out and they are so good. The first one is with one of my favorites, Jennifer Seidman of the Courageous Parents Network. And it's all about the value and importance of palliative care. The other episode is of just the three of us, Bo and Daniel, and we're having some feelings. It's called We Don't Have a Guest Because We're Depressed. You're going to learn a lot (laughs) and love it. Today, oh boy, do I have another rad dad for you. He's the father to a beautiful little girl named Sophie, who has a glycogen storage disease called GSD-1B. And today we're chatting about his efforts in building a foundation with his wife, merging, fundraising, and general advocacy. You're going to love him. So please enjoy my conversation with Jameis Lafreniere. If I pronounced that incorrectly, it's Jameis's fault because he didn't even know how to say his last name. Hello, Jameis. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I have thoroughly enjoyed following you, your wife, Sophie's Hope, on social media, and I always love it when I finally get to meet the family. Likewise. I'm I'm a big fan of, of your show, and I think I've told you before, too, especially my wife, Margo. It's, it's been a... Uh, you know, when you find out with the rare disease and all that, I think your show does such a, a great service to everybody. So little, uh, we certainly appreciate it and hope you keep doing it. So I am very, very honored to be on your show. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Well, yeah, let's dig in because there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about with you. You know, I love a dadvocate on the show. So this, this is where it's at for me. Tell me about little Sophie. Tell me about her diagnosis and the foundation that you and Margo started. So yeah, so Sophie is is an amazing young girl. She just turned four. She's doing really well right now and was diagnosed just before she turned two. And, you know, for our story, I know, I think you and I have gone back to forth and forth on social media. You know, she had a failure to thrive and 
you know, people kind of pushed us off a little bit. And, and a lot of the credit goes to Margo and who's my wife and Sophie's mom for kind of just being persistent and just having a hunch and keep pushing and pushing. And, you know, we found the genetic cause and the diagnosis through kind of some around about blood testing for some allergies she had. So obviously grateful to get to a diagnosis, but, you know, obviously after you hear the diagnosis, unfortunately, you go into that kind of Google, look up everything you can. And it's, you know, the internet always has all the worst scenarios. I definitely encourage people not to quickly go Googling the disease because it can definitely get you in a dark place. But yeah, so she was diagnosed age two. We quickly just, you know, I don't know if it was just me personally, like I needed to feel like I was doing something, but the, we started the Sophie's Hope Foundation probably three to four months after that. Really no, no clue at all what we were doing. So naive about the rare disease space. So just not, not really sure. And our initial intention was just to raise money. And um, really we, we thought we were just going to, it was going to be easy, right? We'll just raise money and give it to this one doctor in university and kind of that's the end of it. And, and, you know, we'll get into the journey a little bit, but that's really not what happened. And we've kind of been on a different path here and, and formed a couple of different organizations and in our pursuit of finding a treatment for Sophie and others with, um, with GSD-1B. It really reminds me of Mike Gralia's story where he just immediately thought he was on a speedboat and he was racing towards a cure. And then he realized mm, not so much. I will say that if you go back and I was just listening to it again, that episode you had with him and, and Nasha, I remember listening to that. And that's like a perfect checklist of like, you know, are you doing the right thing with your organization? So that was a, that was a great episode. And I follow Mike closely. So really good analogy. And I think we, you know, we kind of just call it like a marathon at this point, right? Uh, don't think you're in a sprint on this thing and, and think of it as a marathon and don't burn out. I think there are some pretty important pieces. It's not last time that Margo's up for the Boston Marathon here pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, she's hurting. I feel bad. We we she were on a condensed training schedule. So I, I, I threw her into that and, and she's excited to do it. <laughs> About the organization that you started, was yeah. there nothing going on for Sophie's rare disease? Was there not an advocacy group or a research foundation? Or did you just make one in addition to what was going on? And if so, why? We were going to start something no matter what. And I, I do say like it was just kind of naive what, what we thought we were doing. But we just felt like, it, again, we were just going to fundraise. And we didn't know what a pa- I had never heard of a patient advocacy organization. I didn't really know anything. So our initial intention was just to to start something about Sophie and, and leverage our network and raise money and, you know, give it, you know, everyone, I don't know, at least me walking into this naive, I just assumed there was a doctor and, and or, you know, somebody was working on something and just come to find out there really wasn't a whole lot. But, but I guess to your point that, you know, there are some other organizations focused on different glycogen storage diseases, like a lot of rare diseases, there's, you know, I think there's 13 different types of GSD. Some are more common than others. And unfortunately, GSD-1B, which is what Sophie has, is ultra rare. I mean, we were probably looking at under a thousand people, at least diagnosed. You know, there's probably more across the globe as as we see with, you know, exome sequencing and that sort of thing. But there was nothing at all focused on GSD-1B. So we we partner, like there's some overarching organizations there, you know, within the US and in other places, but nobody was driving research for 1B. And 
it was just such a glaring hole. Like, and I, and I almost felt like, and you know, for this past two years, it's, it's been just trying to put ourselves on the map because we were kind of the forgotten, you know, GSD, unfortunately. So, yeah, so there wasn't anything, there's some other groups that we'll work with. Um, but you know, and that's why when we started Sophie's Hope again, you know, and, and we've made it nice and confusing for people with two different organizations, but Sophie's hope was, you know, just, just what it was, raise some money and, and do that. And then as we started raising money, we realized like, now we need to figure out like, what, what's our plan? Like who, who's going to cure this? You know, what are the different types of options? And, you know, that's when we said, you know, we really need to start this more umbrella organization, which we call Cure GSD-1B. And that was to bring in more GSD-1B families, right? Like, let's let's build an army of doctors, researchers, collaborators, everybody we can. And let's just use that Cure GSD-1B rallying cry. Just because I felt like Sophie's Hope, it, it was a little too personal and people maybe didn't, didn't, you couldn't tell from the surface what we were trying to do. So we created kind of that second organization to help drive. And that is our, that's truly the patient advocacy organization where we're just, we're out there banging the drum every day, trying to get people to pay attention to us. Mm -hmm. You know, in the beginning, it's this sense of urgency and this like need to do something. And I, I really applaud you for pivoting and dropping something that was kind of hard maybe to do. It was personal and it had her name on it and it was something that you built. But I think that's the right choice. I mean, obviously, what are some of the other things that you have changed um, from since you, when you started the foundation to now? Like what other mistakes have you made or maybe what tricks of the trade have you learned that like help accelerate things now? Well, I think the first year I was trying to do things in a vacuum, you know, and, and maybe I actually don't think that was that bad. I think I just learned that we needed to to include more people. So I think, you know, if you're starting something, I didn't want to Nobody knew me either. Think about it because Sophie was diagnosed right before COVID. So no conferences, no in-person, even in-person hospital visits, no doctors knew us. So we kind of had to build something and I wanted to establish credibility. And a lot of that came with raising money. Like, okay, like we have some money. Now people will talk to us. Um, and that was really it. And like, we haven't pivoted away. Like, and I, I know it sounds confusing. Sophie's Hope Foundation is still the 501c3, right? We created it. We didn't want to go create a second 501c3. So when we pivoted to be a patient advocacy organization, I just felt the need to create a new website that was very, very specific to patients, caregivers, researchers, doctors, you know, that could go. And that's what will host our patient registry where we'll have questionnaires and that sort of thing. So you know, what I would advise when you say like advice, I think if a group already exists, that would be my first place to look. Look and see if something exists, see if they need help. And if you don't need to start your own, then great. Because the reason, and I keep talking about it, we have Sophie's Hope and then we have Cure GSD-1B is there are some other 501c3s out there, right? So charities that, you know, we're raising money and we wanted to create a space where we said, hey, let's just all work together, right? It doesn't matter whose name's on it. We're, we're, we're all trying to do the same thing. And in the rare disease space, like efficiency and like, you know, low cost, like it's all so important. So like wasting $100,000 on a research project, that's a big deal. I mean, wasting 10000 is a big deal. So Cure GSD-1B just became this kind of central place where everybody felt like they were participating. And we're still trying to build it. I mean, it's we're only probably a year into that. But I think uh, I think the community, GSD-1B people in general, were really they're really excited because there really wasn't um, 
wasn't something like that before. So I think it's, it's been great so far and, you know, we're continuing trying to build that. Mm, I love that. I know a few of my friends who are husband and wife duos who start and run foundations. They're most of the time also working and taking care of the kids and doing all of the things. I wonder like how, like what has this been like for your marriage and has the extra strain been something that you regret or has it made you a stronger team? Like how do you complement each other and balance this kind of situation out? Yeah, no, it's hard. I don't think there's any way around that, right? And I'm very, very, very fortunate that, you know, Margo is, I mean, she's an incredible teammate. She's by far the best advocate for Sophie. And she takes a lot of pressure off of me in that sense where like we are both doing everything, right? Like it's not like I'm hands off with care or doctor's appointments, but there is no doubt that Margo kind of leads that front. I mean, she's never missed an appointment with Sophie. She's always on the phone with insurance companies, doctors, and she is just kind of the machine in that regard. And she's a, she was, you know, she's a great, she's a nurse. She had a career and, you know, because of everything going on, kind of had to take a pause there. Um, although she still does uh, work per diem, but that that's obviously a very hard decision. I know Probably some, I think you had to make a decision like that too, which it stinks that we're put in these situations, but she was able to do that. And and I work full time as well in sales and we just find time. Like, you know, I try to keep the stuff with the foundation, like the pressure off of her as best as I can, you know, because it's like, she's got enough pressure with everything else, but you know, she's the first person that I bounce an idea off of or who I'll have read one of my, you know, emails or, or crappy newsletters or something I put together. <laughs> and, you know, just, you know, she'll probably say it looks great or, or give me a couple pieces of advice. So, yeah, so it's the balance works, but it's hard. It's a strain. And as you know, when, you know, I mean, it's been two years and I mean, I could probably count on our hands how many times, you know, we've gotten out together without the kids and been able to do that. We you know, haven't really been comfortable going away or, or leaving Sophie in, in that regard. So so we'll see as she gets older or if we can, uh, what we're trying to do work to some, for some treatments um, that could could make it a little bit easier. But yeah, I think I think it's it's the key to how this works. And I don't, you know, not that I don't have to worry about it, but Sophie's in such such a better place and, and such a good place right now, thanks to, you know, Margo and everything in that regard, that I can spend nights, weekends and everything working on the foundation stuff. So I think it balances nicely. Mm, I totally agree. And also I, I and I'm like the mouthpiece, as you can tell, right? Like she's the quiet one. She thinks things through. She's, you know, she'll be on a call with me and a doctor taking good notes while I'm kind of blabbering on about something. So I think there's some good balance there too. <laughs> you definitely sound like a sturdy team. And I can I can imagine how difficult it was for Margot to have to leave a career that she was probably really passionate about. But then at the same time, being able to be around and be such a, a hands-on administrator and mom to little Sophie. Just, yeah, again, it's one of those things. And I, I know we are not alone in that regard, right? Not even just in the GSD space, but put other rare diseases. And it's, it's crazy that, you know, you have to make those sacrifices, but 
I mean, I would sacrifice almost anything for stability with Sophie and, and knowing she's in good hands and, you know, that sort of thing. So it's an easy trade-off to make, although it's, I guess you could say it's kind of unfair that people have to make that decision. But yeah, some something we made. And eventually, like, you know, again, she's a nurse. Her patients, I think, are, are missing her the most, um, to be honest with you. And, you know, but hopefully she'll be able to go back to that when, you know, Sophie's a little older or whatever. But I think definitely a tough decision. Yeah, I think checking in is just so important. And then also kind of having that backboard of the rare disease community in whatever way that you communicate with them. When you're having those, those tough times, or when you're sad that you lost your career, or when you're too stressed out. It's such a complex thing that like needs all the pieces all the time to flourish. Yeah. And I do think too, like, you know, you understand it, I understand it, you know, plenty of people do. But you know, outside of our kind of world, you know, people just don't, it's, it's hard for them to envision what, what goes into things day in and day out. So yeah, it's definitely that, that's been something like, you know, it's been harder for Margo, I think is just, you gotta, you know, I'm okay with like, Hey, I'm like, you know what? They don't know what we're going through. You you can't expect people to always say the right thing, right? They just don't know. Some people don't react well to things too. And they, they say the wrong thing. Um, and I know it's been harder for Margo in that regard too. So, yeah. Sometimes you can be really resilient to comments like that and they just start going in one ear and out the other. And then sometimes if you're kind of a little burnt out, they hit you. Yeah, yeah. I wonder since you like jumped on this speedboat a couple years ago after you got the diagnosis, if there was ever a time where you hit the wall and if you have an experience that you can share about it. Probably six months into this when we made that pivot from like, just going to raise money. And it kind of hit me that like, uh, now I'm responsible for a lot more. And and am I the guy to drive our research plan and, you know, build this army of people to help GSD-1B and, and, you know, make decisions on platforms and, you know, what data we collect and that sort of thing. So it, it, that hit me pretty hard. And I'll say there, there's people, I mean, I, I could name 10 or 12 people that I talked to throughout the process. And it's it's just very helpful. But I definitely, you know, you hit a wall and I had to keep reminding myself and poor Margo had to keep hearing this. But it's like, you have to acknowledge what you are and who you are, right? What are your strengths? What are the things you can do well? What can't you do? What can't you control? Like, I mean, I'm very, very impatient, which I think is good and bad in the space. But I'll always be like tomorrow, like, you know, I haven't heard back from, you know, this researcher or doctor. She's like, how long? it's been two days, but I'm like, you know, so I, I've gotten better at that now, but it's, it's really hard to not kind of harp on that. So I think the realization that, you know, we are what we are, right. We're doing our absolute best where, you know, we're, we're balancing kids and jobs and all that sort of thing and, and just trying to make progress. And I think, once we got, o- I got over that and made that realization, I think like, then you start making progress and I don't know, every day it's, you know, something good happens and you're like, okay, this is why I do it. Like I knew it, like this person got back to me, they're going to like work on this project. And then the next day, you know, you hear something and you're like, you know, it kind of brings you back down. So I think people will often say it's a roller coaster and you just have to be ready for it. But I think in the beginning, we mentioned it, like, you know, if I went into it, you just, you have to plan for a marathon. You can't do everything in the first day. You can't do everything in the first week. You know, you need to have that sense of urgency. And I hear, I think it's Mike Gragley talk about it a lot, that sense of urgency, but you need to know it's stuff doesn't happen overnight, unfortunately, in research and especially rare disease. 
I mean, I think that self-awareness that you have is is such a skill, right? And it's only something that propels you and makes you realize your failures as another stepping stone. And it also makes me think of, I get so many emails from parents or even potential guests for the podcast who are apprehensive all of a sudden to be on it because they've listened to stories from parents who start foundations and raise all this money. And they feel a sense of imposter syndrome because now they don't feel like they're a good enough kind of advocate or they're doing enough for their kid. But then there's you who was this person, you still are this person, and then you started this foundation and you're doing these things, but then you're also feeling that too. And I think that's a really important element for everyone to realize is that we're all in the same situation. We're just on different paths and we all have different gifts that we can provide for this community and to not compare and to not feel less than the compare I'm going to harp on the comparison because that almost killed me early on. So when you we talk about burnout, I was like six months in. I started talking to almost too many people, to getting on every webinar, getting on every listening to every podcast, and it became it consumed my life. I mean, no doubt about it. And like it was it was weighing on me pretty heavy. Um, but then I'd go look at a larger organization's website, or I'd listen to someone talk about like writing a research plan. And I was like, what? I'm like, now I have to go do that tonight. You know, like that comparison is really hard. And I think now, you know, I've learned enough about, you know, GSD-1B and where we're at. I think that was part of it, right? Like it, it can take a year or two to like survey the land, right? Like be a sponge. I mean, I've had a million conversations and I don't have all the answers. And some of the conversations would would end really with just, you know, the researcher or doctor or drug, you know, somebody saying like, geez, thanks for educating me on GSD-1B. Like, and, and, you know, maybe there wasn't a direct next step, but, you know, at least we're telling people that we want help and we're kind of willing to do the work and stuff. So, yeah, I think I, I got really wrapped up in that comparison thing. And I'd look at some of these organizations that have been doing it for 10 or 20 years, and it's just not a fair comparison. I'll even say that to people just starting a foundation now, it's like, it takes a while. And, and my to-do list will never, it's always very long because you have to find time to do things. And as long as you're keeping track of it, I mean, you'll get there. You just, you do the best you can. But that's that was a really good point. Just comparing yourselves to other organizations and where we're at with research is very different from Every, you know, every rare disease is different, you know, and starting in a different place and has different people involved and different problems to solve. I mean, I, I could list out where our challenges are. I don't think that would help anybody, but mine are going to be different than, you know, somebody that's dealing with a neurodegenerative disease or something. So I think it's good for all of us to learn from each other, but I, I definitely would caution against the comparison because like you said, it can be it can be a little bit paralyzing if you if you're trying to measure yourself against what other people have done. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective on that. I love what you said about surveying the land and being a sponge until you can kind of figure it out and find your footing. Was there anyone in specific that really kind of helped change your mindset or an event you attended online that really helped you or a paper you read? Or was it just being organized and going through the motions where you kind of had to learn the hard way? Or was there something that kind of held your hand at some point? 
I think it's always like to be, there probably is. And I feel bad if I'm like forgetting a specific instance <laughs> or person. I mean, I talk to so many people I could list on and, and people will listen to it. It's the same circle of people, right. That, you know, I, I, I follow and listen to and just have the utmost respect for, but you know, for me, it, it always kind of went back to Margo, right. Where I, if, if I was spinning or my head was spinning or I felt like I, I wasn't making the progress I wished I was, or I, I had something I would just kind of talk to her. And I think she would always talk me off the ledge and be like, do you realize what you've gotten done so far? And you know, how far, how much further along we are than, than when we started. And, and I think that's really the key. And then I think I may have mentioned this before, like all these paralyzing thoughts, like write a research plan or build a medical board, whatever they could be. I mean, you could name anything. They all sound really difficult. But like every time I've sat down and actually did it, I'm like, I wish I just got this over with instead of worrying about it for like two weeks. So I, I feel like in it again, I have no medical background, no scientific background. So I think if I can sit down and kind of draft a little bit of a research plan, it doesn't have to be very specific. But I mean, at least you're kind of documenting your thoughts and, and where you're at. So, so that would be my advice there. I think everyone can relate to that, especially just worrying about something that you need to do or that you're intimidated to do or that you're dreading. And then you just do it and you're like, why? Why did I do? Why did I do that to myself? Yeah, definitely not a strength of mine. That is the, the paralyzing. Can I do this thought process? But every and I told you this, I think before, but when you sit down and do it, you always get it done. And, you know, once you have that confidence, it's it, it helps a lot for sure. Mm, it feels so good. And I love that Margot is actually the secret queen of the land here. Really, really patting you on the back there, Jameis. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, you think about it, like I come out of my office, you know, at night or whatever to a Saturday and she can tell like the head's just spinning or I'm trying to put something together. So yeah, she definitely, definitely helps talk me off the ledge a few times. Well, let's talk about your organization again. I know that she's doing the Boston Marathon, and I know that you are both some badass fundraising geniuses. So <laughs> tell me tell me about your strategy and tell me about your experience with it. I don't enjoy fundraising. I don't think anybody does, right? Nobody really likes asking for money. But I think when you think about why you're doing it, right? I mean, it's pretty personal. And it's I'm trying to cure my daughter, which ultimately will then cure hundreds, maybe thousands of other kids and maybe lead to other things as well. So, you know, if I go back to the very beginning, I mean, Sophie was diagnosed and we didn't really even tell anybody for a couple months. And I don't know why. I think it was just processing. Like I, I just, and then, I don't know, it's just hard to talk about and, and understand. And then we decided when we kind of told people that we wanted to be able to tie it to something. So at the time it was a single university. So we did a fundraiser for a university um, that was, that was doing some research and kind of felt good that people cared. Right. I was really worried. I'm like, we're going to put this out here and we're going to raise like $5, you know, and it's just embarrassing and it's going to be so discouraging, but you know, the support we got from that initial fundraiser, it was like, okay, like we're going to do more. We're, we're, you know, we've got a great network. We've got people that care. Like let's, that's literally that sparked. We're like, we'll start our own 501c3. We'll, we'll create a cool logo. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll have, you know, we'll spread awareness and all that sort of thing. And, from there, like the fundraising, and I think the big thing for people is I don't think one size fits all. Like if a golf tournament works for me, like there's probably 10 people it won't work for. Uh, you know, some people 
I'll use an example. I think it's Casey McPherson. Like, I mean, the guy's a musician and I, I, some of the ways he fundraises and it's just so emotional. And I mean, you can't help but want to give in that regard. Right. But obviously I'm not a musician, so I can't do that. So for us, like our golf tournament, which has turned into a huge event we do last year, we had almost 300 golfers. So we, we were completely sold out two courses. If you don't know Massachusetts, we have Cape Cod, which is, you know, right on the ocean. It's where everybody goes in the summer. It's uh, so the golf courses were right, right on the ocean. It's a beautiful facility, filled it up. And in that one event kind of stabilizes us for the year. I think that's important. So if it's not a golf tournament, maybe it's a gala, maybe it's something else, but like having that linchpin event, because what I learned is you can't really just keep asking people for money. I mean, it's the same people, you know, they're going to get burnt out. They don't really understand the difficulties of the rare disease space and why we have to keep asking for money. But if you have an event, whether it's a golf tournament or a gala or something like that, you know, you're providing a pretty fun experience for people. And it's like, they, they're all expecting it every year. Like my buddies, I, the work colleagues. And to be honest, like the golf tournament for us brings in a lot of corporate money too, which that's really hard. Like you can't really crowdfund and get companies to participate very easily. So the golf tournament gave us that uh, opportunity and that'll always, I mean, hopefully always be kind of our flagship event to make sure that we always have money. And then we'll sprinkle in. I mean, for us, the Boston Marathon is a great opportunity um, just, you know, because it's a very well-known event. We can publicize it. Margo's running it, which is a great story. I mean, she, this is her first marathon running it for Sophie and for all the other kids. And, you know, we'll use that as a fundraiser. Which is cool. And then, and then, yeah, at the end of the year, like every other organization, of course, we're going to try to capture, you know, people that want to have tax write-offs or just want to give more, you know, at the end of the year, giving Tuesday or Sophie's birthday. So, you know, we've been creative too, like doing the squares for Super Bowls, those things, but everything takes work. So you really got to prioritize, you know, what you do. Uh, and then I'll just say the last piece is the most effective thing, like some organizations, and I forget which ones I know do a really good job encouraging other families to participate and make it really easy for other families to do fundraisers. So that's something that we certainly want to be able to do too, right? Let, let other, you know, GSD-1B families participate, you know, do their own fundraisers. And we started to get that a little bit at the end of last year. So I think as we start to show some more success and have like specific projects or, you know, whether we're trying to get gene therapy, whatever it is, I think we'll get more of them involved as well. So yeah, everybody's got a different strategy, but you know, I, I think having a linchpin event has kind of helped us stabilize and make sure that we get the money we need to, to commit to things. Dude, that's some supercharged fundraising strategy. hundred <laughs> percent. That sounds fun too. Well, so like, I do enjoy it. Like, it's a ton of work, the golf tournament. And I wouldn't, you know, and whatever, I, I tell this to other people, like, it's a lot of work, tons of preparation and coordination. And for golf, like, you kind of, you have to charge a lot of money because your expenses are really high. So it's, you know, you have to make sure that you have the right network and that you can fill it up and you can do a silent auction. So yeah, I do. I'll be honest. I do like that sort of thing. Like maybe I, maybe I should be an event, event planner. Like yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe you could have a family business. I'm well, I'm freakishly detailed. <laughs> like, so you should like the email I send out about the golf tournament. People are like, yeah, you don't have to tell me what time I have to eat breakfast. You know? So it's, yeah, we make sure we make sure every little detail is covered. So, but it works. Then people love it. They're like, this is great. And they have a fun and it's a yearly event and everybody comes down to a big party. So, yeah. 
Well, Great. that's a really valuable quality that you have. And I feel like you should make a PDF on the how-to, you know, put it on your tab for everyone else. I'll put, I'll put that on my to-do <laughs> list. That, that to-do list is, is continuously growing. So, yeah. Yes, that's awesome. But I am ha- like, I've ha- I'm happy to talk to any, like, if organizations are, are looking. I, I love sharing ideas, so... And I definitely steal ideas too, right? We all do in this in this space. So it's yes, definitely. It's called sharing your homework. I call it. Uh, I had borrow and steal. You know, somebody <laughs> something looks great on somebody's website. You know, try to find a way to use it. I could care if people see something they like. Go ahead, use it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you and Amber Freed could have a competing golf tournament. One in Texas, Uh-oh. one in Boston, and see who wins. All right. <laughs> I'm up for it. We have a great, I mean, it is a party. I mean, we, again, it's two courses, which is unique. So 300 people. It's fun for me too. I people, it's like, it's like a wedding. I have to go say hi to everybody. I love it because it's all, all friends, family and, and that sort of thing. So, and then we have a party after golf right on the beach where they do weddings. Actually, it's where Margo and I got married. So it's like, it's, it's, we had a DJ, we had raw bar pizza it was a it was a fun set, setting and actually sophie grabbed the mic and uh and did some singing last year so yes. we'll see last year i think she did um a song from zootopia i think and then <laughs> but I, I am guessing this year if she does it she's getting a little shy she'll do probably Encanto. i don't know if you can oh hear some gosh. of those songs but she she is really into that so just we'll give her all the money yes yeah well hey it <laughs> so works awesome. yeah it's it, yeah <laughs> she's the star she is the star of the show she rides around in the golf cart i mean the other thing has been very weird with covid right like you know we've been lucky to be able to have the events because they're outdoors and you know everybody's pretty careful and they were kind of in between waves we did it in july last year but we're so careful with sophie because part of her disease is neutropenia which basically she has a, a really weak immune system and then if she were ever to get sick, she, you know, her metabolic control, which is the other component of GSD 1B is, you know, would cause some major problems. So like as fun as they are, and we want Sophie to like have a blast there. I mean, you know, we, we still have had that COVID cloud. So I'm really, really hoping that this year's event, like we can kind of, Sophie can really be the star of the show and get pictures of people and have a lot of fun. So for real, for real. Okay, well, I really just kind of have one more question to hit the fundraising thing again. What would you say to the families who are going through the paperwork to start an organization, but don't yet want to raise money because they don't want to miss getting the big bucks when they actually have an org to tie it to? Would you recommend that they do wait out and not fundraise or to just start getting money anyways, if they can, and then also just hit it hard again once they have an org? That's a tough one. I, I'm one that says like, the more often you fundraise, the better because, and I might not be answering this correctly and I'll get back to it, but because we get this question a lot, right? What are we fundraising for? You know, like, are we buying, you know, people like to attach what they're fundraising to, to something tangible. Like, uh, I mean, are we buying a piece of equipment, you know, are we feeding, how many children are we feeding with this donation? You know, and it's in the rare disease space, it's like, it's not that simple, right? Like we, we know we're going to need a lot of money, right? I mean, we just, we don't know exactly how much everything's going to cost out the front. So I say from the beginning, I, I raise as much money as possible. I think like in our organization, I've encouraged 
people that already raise a lot of money to to have their own 501c3 if they if they want to right i mean because there is overhead there's cost you got to do taxes it's it's not easy but if you can raise a lot more money having your own 501c3 because you maybe you're attaching your kid's name to it or whatever then do it and then as long as we all work together and and make sure that we're all on the same page and spending the money the way we should be, then I think that's the right way to do it. But I think it goes back to kind of your, I think one of your first questions or, or something about like, did it, did an organization already exist? If an organization already exists, I mean, easiest thing to do is is to kind of seek them out and, and see what you can do to help and be a part of it. And, you know, maybe the best route is to just fundraise for them, save yourself a lot of time and, you know, money and overhead and effort. Sound advice, yes. Everybody's got their own, yeah. Everyone, you know, like what I tell people is you you know your network, right, better than I do. You know, so if, if you can raise, it's not about, you know, you know I don't know. There, there's no egos involved when you're trying to cure rare disease. If you're going to raise more money one way, do it. Well, tell everyone where they can go to help Margo with her race and to help your foundation or to just connect with you in general. Yeah. I mean, I like, I'm big on LinkedIn. So I, I enjoy connecting with people on LinkedIn. We have Sophie, well, I have my own personal page and then we have a Sophie's Hope Foundation page and Facebook as well. Instagram, we've got a Sophie's Hope Foundation page as well. And that's really mostly a lot of cute pictures of Sophie. And, but some of it is educational about the stuff she has to go through as well, but we try to keep it light and fun and funny. Uh, and then our website is uh, www.sophieshopefoundation.org. And that's where you'll see, yeah. So uh, Margo is, we're, we're fundraising for the Boston Marathon. You can learn more. You can, we've got our, you, you, I think, you know, we've got some pretty good swag. So yeah, you can, you can get your, your swag there. And again, we also have cheergsd1b.org, but that is definitely more focused on, you know, people with GSD1B. Got it. Awesome. Well, Jameis, thanks so much for being my guest. I'm just so grateful to you for coming on and sharing your experience so far and your journey with us and a little bit about little Sophie. She is the cutest. I can attest to that. And your swag is lit. So... <laughs> Well, thank Always. <laughs> yes. Thanks for being my guest. And I know people are going to learn a lot from you. And I'm so happy to be able to share your message. So thank you. Before you close, I want to say thank you so much. Because again, following your journey, I'm learning about, you know, Ford and his challenges. And I think it's it's what you're doing is opening eyes, you know, especially for me, right, just to, to learn about the difficulty there with wheelchairs and different things. So I, uh, I am learning as well. So I really appreciate everything you do. And thanks for carrying on this podcast, because it's certainly been a little bit of a lifeline for Margo and myself. And we love, love listening and learning. Ugh, thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.